Does having a climate plan help U.S. Democrats get elected? And how is the global clean energy transition going? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Becosphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and U.S.-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Friday, June 24th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some extreme weather events. Nigeria is in the eye of the hurricane that is climate change. Hundreds of Nigerian homes are vanishing into the sea as sea level rise swallows up parts of the south coast. On the northern side of Africa's most populous country, the Sahara is expanding due to desertification, swallowing up pasture lands. Desertification is when fertile land becomes barren due to either deforestation, drought, or harmful agricultural practices. In this case, drought is a big factor. And then in the east, intense rainfall is eroding farmland into the Niger Delta. So climate change is literally surrounding the country, which has contributed little to historic emissions. Africa's government leaders will meet at the Commonwealth of Nations Summit in Rwanda this week to discuss the citizens' plight. Much of Africa is starving right now due to climate change-induced drought and global food shortages associated with the pandemic and the Russian-Ukrainian war. This is particularly an issue in Somalia, which is experiencing its worst drought in 40 years. The Horn of Africa has suffered four consecutive failed rainy seasons, leading to 89 million people being acutely food insecure, according to the World Food Program. For context, that number has grown by 90% over the past year. The WFP is asking G7 countries for generous aid ahead of the G7 summit. Last year, G7 countries provided just $7 billion, or 6.6 billion euros, in aid to the area, and the UK slashed the overseas aid budget by $4.8 billion, or 4.6 billion euros. In April, the United Nations only received 3% of the 6 billion euros it asked for in April for Somalia, South Sudan, and Ethiopia. In Asia, South China provinces started raising level 1 alerts on Tuesday as local rivers overflowed into the streets, reaching record levels. Authorities are telling people who live by the water bodies to move to higher ground. Near the Beijing River, it's another once-in-a-hundred-year flood. 107,000 acres, or 43,300 hectares, of crops have been destroyed. Summer floods are pretty common in this region, but climate change is making these floods more frequent and intense. Several parts of China are also in a heat wave. Over in Europe, a wildfire is scorching parts of Turkey, fueled by heat and winds. The fire began Tuesday evening and was almost brought quickly under control until the winds picked up. The country is taking this fire extremely seriously, wary after last year's fire, which was the most intense in Turkish history. In another part of the Mediterranean, Spain's city, Seville, became the first in the world to start naming and classifying heat waves. The pilot project is a joint effort between the city and the Adrian Arched Rockefeller Foundation Resilience Center, which develops solutions for climate risks through partnerships with experts and policymakers. Many cities like Athens, Melbourne, and Los Angeles have contemplated this idea, but Seville is the first to put it into action. The project has three categories to slot heat waves in and will notify residents five days before a heat event. The heat waves will be named in reverse alphabetical order, with the first five names being Zoe, Iago, Zania, Winslow, and Vega. Let's check out some climate studies. 
Cement carbon emissions have doubled over the last 20 years, according to Norway's Cicero Center for International Climate Research and the Global Carbon Project. Cement is one of the harder carbon-intense industries to decarbonize because it requires high heat, which is easier to make by burning fossil fuels. Cement carbon emissions currently represent more than 7% of global carbon emissions. The biggest cement emissions producer in the world is China. Its cement emissions have tripled since 1992, now growing at a rate of 2.6% a year. And it's not just that humans are using more cement. Cement is getting more carbon intense, growing by 9.3% from 2015 to 2020. And yet, this is mostly due to China, according to the International Energy Agency, or IEA. And over to finance, the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance, which represents $10.6 trillion in assets, just laid out five principles to underpin a redesign of government policies around the globe to encourage movement away from carbon-intensive activities. It encourages world leaders to set up science-based carbon prices. A report by the High-Level Commission on Carbon Prices found carbon prices need to be in the $50 to $100 per ton range by 2030 to keep warming below 2 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. It recommends the policies be designed in a way that doesn't make it harder on disadvantaged communities, including through retraining, lump sum transfers, and lower income taxes. Currently, less than 25% of global emissions are covered by a carbon price. I haven't dove into this topic much yet, so I'm just going to quote the rest of the Reuters article. Governments must also provide a more predictable price signal to help businesses plan for the transition to a low-carbon economy, such as by establishing price corridors that show the direction of travel over time. To protect domestic heavy emitters as a transition and prevent carbon leakage, whereby industry moves jurisdictions where they are not penalized for polluting, Governments could use carbon border adjustment mechanisms, as has been proposed by the European Union. They added that greater international cooperation could be forged through climate clubs of countries working together on the issue. That's definitely a whole video's worth of content right there. (laughs) This next one is very interesting to us Americans. New research published in PLOS Climate found that House of Representative Democrats who supported the Green New Deal in 2020 saw a corresponding increase of 2% vote share in their elections. This adds to a growing body of research that representatives with explicit climate agendas do better in pollings worldwide. Very interesting. Time for some climate victories, starting in Asia, where Japan is awarding customers for climate-friendly choices. The government supports dozens of e-commerce businesses and mall operators to expand their loyalty point schemes to include sustainable behaviors, so customers can earn credits towards online purchases, airline mileage, and even investments. Some actions they're rewarding include ride-sharing, buying energy-saving home appliances, or declining single-use plastics. I notice a bit of irony that the credits go towards emissions-heavy behaviors, but this is still a cool concept to encourage behavior changes. Something I forgot to mention about the European Parliament's overhaul of the European Union carbon market system is that it plans to phase out free CO2 permits for industries by 2032. This is significant because it would put more pressure on industries to decarbonize faster, so they won't have to spend as much money on credits. The permits will be replaced with a carbon levy on imported steel, cement, and other projects to make sure European products and foreign firms are on equal footing. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I talked about the new European Union carbon market systems, updates, 
yesterday, I think. And the European Commission proposed legally binding laws to half pesticide use and restore nature. It would require EU countries to restore at least 20% of EU's nature by 2030 and all degraded ecosystems by 2050. The Commission wants to ban pesticide use entirely in places like public parks and protected spaces and drop pesticide use by half overall by 2030. The Commission head recognizes that a drastic drop in pesticide use could drop agricultural yields and increase food prices, but he said that the new technologies available to farmers can make up for pesticide use. The switch just needs to be incentivized. Governments would have to submit regular progress reports if these laws are approved, but they still have to be voted on by the European Parliament and EU governments. Germany announced plans to overhaul its rail network starting in 2024. The country recognized the importance of having good public transportation to meet its climate goals. Rail updates are overdue. Now for a piece of neutral news. The IEA released its World Energy Investment Report on Wednesday. Here are some highlights from Carbon Brief's Simon Evans. Overall, clean energy spending might actually outpace fossil fuel spending this year due to the uncertainty of fossil fuels sticking around in the future. The world is likely to spend a record $1.4 trillion on clean energy this year. Clean energy investments had been pretty flat until these last two years, stuck around $1.1 trillion a year. This ramp-up is still not aligned with the amount promised through pledges and is not close to the amount necessary to reach net zero by 2050, though. The IEA warns that the energy crisis we're currently in could push millions of people into energy poverty and further emphasize the importance of providing financial support for emerging economies to transition to clean energy. The crisis has pushed many countries into investing further into fossil fuels, though annual fossil fuel investments are 30% less now than they were when the Paris Agreement was signed in 2015. The IEA found that most upstream oil and gas investments are in existing fields, and most of the investment increase can be attributed to inflation. Oil and gas companies have raked in about $4 trillion from price inflation-associated windfall, and the IEA says that this gives fossil fuel producers an opportunity to fund diversification activities. In particular, the profits would be enough to fund nearly a decade of investment in low-emissions fuel and carbon capture and storage technology. Oil and gas companies are increasing their clean energy investments. Those investments only make up about 5% of their overall capital spending, though. These investments are primarily in offshore wind. The IEA reiterates that the Russian-Ukrainian war should not give permission to countries to invest further in fossil fuels. The inflating costs of critical minerals risks reversing the declining cost trend for renewable energy and battery storage, but the IEA found that it's also fueling more investments in new supplies, with exploratory spending up by 30% this year and a 50% increase for lithium-focused firms. All these being said, renewables are still cheaper than oil and gas, especially with the high gas prices. Battery storage investments have doubled since last year, and hydrogen investments have increased tenfold compared to 2020 levels. The IEA expects carbon capture investments to take off next year. Investments in EVs have doubled. Investments in increasing energy efficiency for buildings haven't really increased much this year, which is a big missed opportunity to decrease costs for consumers right now. Finally, the majority of all these trends are due to European countries. Europe remains the leader in transitioning to clean energy, which none of my listeners should really be surprised to hear. 
And that was your climate news for Friday, June 24th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.